away we go. Podcasting from Studio 2520. Somewhere near Akron, Ohio and live via Zencaster. The campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. This is Tackling the Chicane. Scotland the Brave. Ah, uh, correct. I thought <laughs> that was apropos of uh, our Scottish Premier League uh, goings on right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we got plenty of Scottish football, specifically Scottish League Cup semis, to sink our teeth into this episode. Uh, last time, we did our little F1 2022 season award show, which is a lot of fun. Um, but by consequence of that, we kind of neglected to talk any soccer. So we're going to be making up for that in this episode. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we will be delving into a little bit of F1 talk here. Uh, I, You'll have to refresh me on what you are bringing to the table for that segment. Uh, I just uh, came across some rule changes for 2023. Um, we can brush through those fairly quickly. There's 10 of them, but uh, there's some stuff here that's pertinent, so Whichever order you want to go in, if you have something that you want to talk about, uh, then we can do these, or I can do these first, whatever you think. Uh, I'll just go ahead and run through these 2023 team launch dates, because they're kind of straightforward. But uh, So essentially, each team uh, formerly, formally announces basically when they're starting their build up for 2023 in the, the, the season ahead. Um, so the first team that will be firing up the 2023 calendar is actually Red Bull. And that's February 3rd. Uh, Williams, February 6th. AlphaTauri, February 11th, which is interesting that it's different from Red Bull because they're, you know, kind of the farm team, if you will. Aston Martin, February 13th, along with McLaren that same day. Valentine's Day, February 14th, Ferrari is firing up. Mercedes, February 15th, and Alpine, February 16th. Alfa Romeo and Haas have not formally announced uh, their launch dates. So basically what I would assume uh, launch dates really entail is... uh, probably a bunch of social media hullabaloo and whatnot, and uh, maybe some livery design leaks and, well, maybe not leaks, but actual posts. And, uh, you know, some pictures of drivers entering the facility and all of that good uh, PR stuff. Uh, Exciting times, though, because, you know, 
a new season is officially upon us and everyone, you know, hypothetically with a clean slate and uh, equal opportunity to uh, win some races. So should be should be interesting to see kind of the the difference of uh, how these teams uh, launch their seasons. Yeah, um, I'm I'm always excited about potential um, tweaks to the deliveries. Um, they always try to freshen things up season to season, so that's I'm looking forward to that um, looming in the future. Um, looking super forward to Audi's participation here. And it, it will be here before you know it. We're talking 2026, but as you, as we all know, um, things happen rapidly. So I'm looking forward to that. Keeping a close eye on the Andretti saga. And as anything of note comes to light, we'll touch on that. Uh, no new news on that front. Um, but I am following Andretti Autosport. And uh, we'll be abreast of any uh, developments uh, with with that. So hopefully, uh, with any luck, we'll be looking at uh, a new American F1 team in the in the future. So yeah, for sure, definitely. Uh, by nature of the podcast, we will have to keep an eye out on on the Andretti saga. Uh, definitely looking forward to some some new news on that front um why don't we jump into these 10 rule changes and uh just see what we got here yeah so um firstly uh the ride height of the cars and diffusers has been adjusted for the upcoming season and there are four additional changes that will come into play this year. Floor edges have been raised by 15 millimeters. Diffuser throat height has been raised. Diffuser edge stiffness has been increased. And an, if you can believe this, an additional sensor has been mandated to more effectively monitor the porpoising phenomenon. So um, these are fairly technical uh, things that we're talking about here. I mean, 15 millimeters, not a lot. Um, but these, as we've spoke about in the past, have a lot to do with arrow. And we know that in F1, arrow is, uh, everything. So got some ride height changes coming here next year. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, we know porpoising was a, a pretty big issue at least sort of in that middle part of the season, early middle stage of the season. And, you know, you might be quick to brush off 15 millimeters as not being a huge deal, but, I mean, with these cars, any minor tweak, you know, that can affect a lot of things. Well, and it opens the door for engineering to make whatever changes they feel necessary. Uh, and it can be good and bad. You know, Red Bull has a tried and true 
arrow package that has obviously made them very dominant in the series so i would like i would love to be a a fly on the wall to see if changes are made or some changes are mandated some might be optional but do you stick with what works or do you start playing around with um, these diffuser heights and, and maybe put yourself in a precarious position of messing up you know what you have as the perfect or semi-perfect arrow package yeah it, it it'll be interesting to see kind of the the response from teams on some of these rule changes and and just to see what types of creative engineering we'll see uh anytime there's a rule change you'd have to imagine it's one safety or maybe something was being taken advantage of prior to the rule change so so we'll see right uh number two stronger roll hoops after joe's crash so looking back just to refresh everyone uh joe guan yu had a um upright shiny side down crash last year um obviously the roll hoop was um pivotal in making sure that he was able to walk away from that um but they're going to strengthen them based on that particular incident uh the rounded top is required on the roll hoop which will reduce the chance of digging into the ground during an accident and they have a minimum height point uh of the application and it'll it doesn't sound like much but that's a huge um structural part of the car so if if fia says roll hoops are going to have to be x y and z you're talking about a fairly um, complicated change to the structure of the car and i'm looking at a fantastic picture on f1's website of that particular crash Um, and it's definitely one that you should go seek out because uh, pretty crazy to see the car upside down on the roll hoop sliding across the tarmac and you can see his helmet just tucked in just ever so slightly below that protective cage and i again f1 does not release information or pictures like other um forms of motorsport but i can guarantee you that that helmet was flat on top (laughs) so um kind of an interesting thing going on there Mm -hmm. uh third is a reduction in the minimum car weight Uh, as the new era develops a reduction of two kilograms to 796 kilograms which uh i don't have my conversion chart up in front of me as to what kilograms are to pounds but uh i'll look it up for you right now the cars are light um that's 1700 pounds okay so let me put this into perspective for the listening folks we know these cars are making uh, pretty close to if i recall 11 or 1200 horsepower i think uh 1700 pound car in the road going world there is not such a thing um some of the lightest road going vehicles are probably closer to 
2,400 pounds. And those cars, uh, just by nature, usually have 200 or less horsepower. <laughs> so 1,700 pounds with that kind of horsepower is, is uh, pretty intriguing for sure. But they're going to shave off another 2K. So whatever that is, five pounds maybe, something like that. Yeah, roughly, but uh, yeah, that's that's interesting with reduction in the minimum weight. We'll see uh, how teams take advantage of that. Revised mirrors to improve driver visibility. In an, attempt, in an attempt to increase driver visibility, there will, will be a change to the rear view mirrors on 23 spec cars. Uh, the width of the reflective surface of the mirror will increase by 50 millimeters from 150 millimeters to 200 millimeters. So getting a wider angle there to watch who's coming up behind you. Yeah, uh, that one's pretty straightforward, I would say. But interesting, it's always interesting just to see what exactly they're trying to change in the rules. little factoid, the first rear rear view mirror in racing was implemented by the marmon wasp in the 1911 indy 500 piloted by ray haroon and that was quite an epic uh piece of engineering that no one had ever thought of until they placed that rear view mirror on the marmon wasp up until then your mechanic or a riding mechanic, there were usually two people on the car. The mechanic was charged with manually pumping oil into the engine, typically, as the driver piloted the vehicle. Wow. But he also was the guy who had to turn around every three seconds to, to monitor what was going on behind the car. So Google a photo of the uh, Marmon Wasp and see... Uh, the first rear view mirror used in racing. Wow. I'm glad you had those factoids tucked away <laughs> for our show here. Number five, double the number of sprint events. Um, and I'm, I need to dig in to that a little bit because I, I know of them. Uh, I think it basically has a lot to do with the qualification of a particular race, but uh, there will be twice as many sprint events in 2023 um, from three to six. So there'll be six sprint events and uh, those will take place at Azerbaijan, Austria, Belgium, Qatar, and uh, United States as well as the uh, Sao Paulo uh, GPs. So hmm. we'll have to um, maybe make that a subject uh, previewing the season of what the sprint events actually uh, entail and how that affects uh, qualifications. Yeah, yeah. I think Basically, it's, it's more, more time on the track, yeah, I think. Yeah, more racing. More, more racing, um, yep. which that makes sense. Uh, seven is qualifying format and DRS trials, which, um, this is more of a tire strategy thing. Um, 
mandated tire compounds uh it's it's a little technical to get into but basically it's they're going to tweak some of the the tire we we do, we briefly dove into some tire tech earlier uh this year and you can go down a rabbit hole pretty quick with that stuff it's it's pretty uh pretty lengthy in so we'll we'll kind of just float past that one um this one is more a little bit more interesting there's going to be some tweaks around gearbox changes um gearbox the gearbox part of the car is a homologate homologated part which means everyone basically uses the same gearbox um we know that that's also a, a pretty big failure point on some of these cars so um where the parts were pre proprietary previous to 2023 um, they're just get, giving the team some flexibility to be able to um, repair gearboxes versus pulling the entire gearbox and replacing it with something fresh off the shelf they're going to be able to tear them down and add some some parts and pieces as necessary is the way i read through this rule so it doesn't sound like much but when you consider the number of dnfs that are a result of a gearbox it's it it could have an impact yeah for sure um this one's kind of uh, a little obtuse but a move to clear up penalty confusion um and I think they're citing the Italian Grand Prix where there were so many power unit and gearbox related position changes in that particular race. Um, it was just confusing to everyone involved, to, to the teams. And um, they really shuffled the order of cars, if you remember, in that particular race. So I think they're just trying to maybe clarify some of those penalties and and how it's going to position cars on the grid for next year yeah that's that's something i would like to see a little more streamlined and yeah it was definitely annoying just as a as a spectator as a fan like not like when a qualifying session would happen and you didn't really know how the grid was going to shake up because there were six drivers that were going to have a penalty and stuff like that. So number 10 is something that I did not realize was even uh, a thing, but apparently there's one of the things they do with the fuel for the car is they try to maintain a certain temperature of the fuel. Um, and this is a small change on paper and mostly has to do with races that are in certain parts of the world that are, you know, a hundred degrees at race time or, you know, higher temperatures. Uh, teams have been apparently using certain systems to make sure that the fuel maintains an ambient temperature. And they're just basically spelling out what those parameters can be. Um, they can't, have their fuel be 10 degrees 
more than 10 degrees below ambient temperature. Um, and it, this is cut down from, I guess, last, uh, in the past, it was, you were able to have your fuel be up to 20 degrees colder than ambient temperature. And obviously this has a lot to do with, um, what I want to say, the combustion cycle in the engine. And apparently, um, these teams have figured out that the temperature of the fuel has a lot to do with the amount of horsepower they can make and just the overall efficiency, perhaps, uh, how much fuel you burn per lap or per hour. Um, so I know this is all very riveting information, but, uh, gonna make it a little bit more, give them, give the teams a little more flexibility on that, uh, that particular piece of the puzzle to be able to kind of manipulate the temperature of the fuel. So uh, these are all background things that, that the, the average person probably won't notice any difference in, in the racing, but uh, nonetheless, uh, F1 constantly uh, at the forefront of technology and making sure that uh, these cars put on the best possible show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll see how these rule changes really affect the product, uh, if at all, really. I mean, like you said, a lot of these are probably more behind-the-scenes changes that aren't going to affect the fan. But... If I had to choose two out of this list that are going to be notable, it's the gearbox scenario mm -hmm. and... Um, the first, I lost my train of thought here, but there was another one that was seemed the like the sprints, maybe the sprints, maybe the sprints. Um, uh, let me see here. Car weight that doesn't have much to do with it. Uh, oh, the ride height, the diffuser mm -hmm. changes. That's the that's the biggest. That will have the largest effect on the ability for a team to develop its aero package. So that's number one. Number two, um, you know, is probably going to be possibly, um, like you said, the penalties, but regardless, um, we'll see, we'll be able to, we'll be able to tell if we have some hard chargers that were mid pack cars last year that maybe figured out the aero package. And that will just play itself out uh, throughout next year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think that's all we've got on the Formula One side of the show. So in that case, if you're ready to move on to some of the action on the pitch this past weekend. Uh, let's so dive if you into could it. just briefly give us a synopsis of where we're at in the, the Scottish league as far as is this a playoff scenario that we're looking at here? Um, mm -hmm. So for the cup, this is the best of X for the cup or, or what are we, what are we dealing with here? Yeah. So one of the, I would say biggest challenges for, someone not familiar with soccer and especially not familiar with uh, 
uh, European soccer is the idea that clubs play in multiple competitions each season. So you have your domestic league, right? So that's your weekend, your week in, week out. The league you play in for the league championship, you know, domestic teams only. Um, that's pretty straightforward. That's your three points for a win, one point for a draw, what have you. Then to kind of spice things up, I suppose, uh, especially if you're not used to it, most countries have a cup competition. So um, in America, the U.S. Open Cup, England, the FA Cup, Scotland, the Scottish Cup, etc. cetera. Uh, essentially... The Scottish Cup and the uh, FA Cup actually predate the the domestic league. Um, so when football gained popularity, it used to be clubs would compete for one trophy, which was the cup. So if you kind of dig into the history of, of soccer, especially in Britain, many of the clubs used to cherish the cup competition more than the league well as i kind of described last week when i was trying to preview what we were kind of uh what we were taking in this past weekend proprietors of the game wanted another cup competition um because people like knockout football and people like win win and you're it in situations win and move on or lose and go home um so the league the league cup became a thing now in scotland that came about in the 40s and usually the difference between the league cup and uh like the scottish cup is that the league cup only uh is part the only participants are people that are in the the scottish professional football league the spfl uh, so that's 42 clubs, plus they usually invite a couple others just for uh, even numbers sake. Um, same goes with England. It's the clubs that compete in the English Football League. Um, whereas the domestic cup uh, is any club can be in it. So what we witnessed over the weekend was the semifinals of the League Cup and I'm trying to make it as simple as possible, but I understand like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But essentially, this is a, a cup competition that does not have any bearing on the actual league. Got you. Um, <laughs> but there will be a cup awarded, right? There will be a cup awarded for the League Cup. The final uh, is February 26th. Now, I know you're trying to to learn, and what's funny about the Scottish calendar is that it'll only be a, more confusing for you probably because this weekend, this upcoming weekend, is Scott the Scottish Cup competition, which is a different cup competition, but... Uh, I would say people perhaps cherish a little more than the League Cup. 
um, again, we can get lost in sort of the, the get lost in the weeds with this stuff. But uh, yeah, so three competitions that people that that clubs play for in the SPFL. So you have your league, your cup, and then your league cup. So this was the league cup semifinals over the weekend. Fair enough. So let's uh, move into the old firm uh, V. Kilmarnock. Yeah, so which, um, first game, Celtic versus Kilmarnock. Go ahead. Well, first of all, uh, I couldn't quite figure out if it was a weather condition but mm-hmm. found out later when i watched the second game that we were talking about smoke bombs oh um, yeah i thought it was fog at first and that i was like if they play this whole match under that type of fog <laughs> but it was it was uh smoke from <laughs> yeah so here's here's i you you have to set the stage for the cup competition, especially semifinal on, uh, just so it makes sense here. Uh, so obviously this game was not played at Celtic Park or Rugby Park, home of Kilmarnock. From the semifinal onto the final, the, this competition is played at the Scottish National Stadium, which is called Hampton Park in Glasgow. Um, so it's a neutral um environment technically now celtic is obviously a much 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 larger club than kilmarnock just in terms of of support so what ends up happening when celtic play a smaller team just and i mean that solely by fans um you get about forty thousand ish Celtic fans in there and Kilmarnock brought 7,000 fans. So really it's supposed to be neutral. Uh, It obviously wasn't for this one. Uh, So your smoke bombs were coming from the green brigade, which is the uh, ultras group of Celtic supporters who, uh, and I'm not advocating for this behavior, (laughs) but lit off about a hundred flares before the match. Hence your fog. Again, when I watched the second game that we'll get to later, uh, Rangers, the Aberdeen, uh, same condition, although I was able to actually see um, the source of, Mm -hmm. of it. So um, what say you, uh, anything, I've got a note here. Mackenzie uh, for Kilmarnock had a real banger of a shot uh, that didn't go in it for a goal. We're talking mm-hmm. about in the first six minutes or so. Yeah, I uh, think it's. I think it's interesting if you break down the game into parts for this one. Uh, a lot of times, especially in a cup semifinal or whatever, a team that's playing Celtic really usually tries to take it to them, you know, to kind of keep them off, take them off guard, I suppose. Um, what ends up happening in the league a lot of times is teams will bunker down against Celtic, but 
Kilmarnock really came out of the gates flying and had that opportunity you talk about. And in general, I think we're just kind of unsettling Celtic a little bit. They forced some mistakes. Uh, So it it did really kind of set the tone for the match. And, you know, I think Kilmarnock really, really did a good job of, of staying in this game and making it a, a really competitive one. Well, I had a note here, the game, and this is what I really enjoy about Scottish professional football is the game was, was quite physical from the onset, um, from the, from the first kick, um, Celtic had, you know, dominant possession, but Kilmarnock was playing some pretty nasty defense, um, throughout and that always makes a much more enjoyable match for me i i don't care for the lay back and ticky tack around i mm-hmm. this game was not that um so they were kilmarnock was was playing some pretty pretty aggressive defense which for me makes you know interesting football yeah, and I think you kind of have to take in the context of the match. You know, for a club like Kilmarnock to be in the semifinal is really a big deal for them. You know, Hampton visits sometimes can be taken for granted by the two Glasgow clubs. But uh, I think Kilmarnock and their fans, you know, they're going to try and take advantage as much as possible as being – on the big stage in Scotland. And again, like I, I would agree that it's nice to see a team not lay down to Celtic and, and just coming from a a more subjective place that being a Celtic fan, I think you want, you want to play opposition that's going to challenge you. And, And Kilmarnock really, really has done that. And they did that two weeks in a row with, um, in the league against Celtic too. So uh, I think there, there's some storylines going into this that would also sort of contribute to Kilmarnock's kind of, like you put it, their, their sort of nastiness. Um, we have to talk about Kyle Lafferty on Kilmarnock, their striker, uh, who we will talk about here in a minute or two, but uh Look, politics are a thing that you can't really escape in the Scottish game. And we know just from following Celtic that the Irish identity is something you can't really separate from the club. Kyle Lafferty, born in Northern Ireland, uh, was suspended uh, earlier in the season for making some comments um, about Irish people, uh, I believe, in a game against or no, it was, he was caught on video at a nightclub saying some rather uh, discriminatory things. So actually this game against Celtic was his first match back. I I don't know if it was from the suspension or from something else, but it was the first match he had played in a while. And, you know, he was definitely up for it. And I think Kilmarnock was, as well, and I think that contributes really to why 
uh, Kilmarnock came out of the gates so hot. Yeah, so we've got, uh, I believe it was our first uh, goal of the match uh, around the 18th or so minute um, off of a free kick, and it was uh, Moy Mm -hmm. who was successful with that. Um, I have a, a note right underneath that Joe Hart played an absolutely phenomenal game. And I have to think even in the first closing minutes of the first half, we, we can't forget the importance of having a good keeper in the box. And, you know, when he's, when he's got, two or three saves in the first half he's the game winner you know yes you need to score but you also you know we know i know i shouldn't say we um having been new to the sport if anything is intriguing about watching these games it and it's different in U.S. type Matt game, you know, football, a touchdown doesn't mean nearly as much as a goal does in, in this league or in, mm-hmm. you know, any of the leagues that we watch. Yeah. Um, so for him to be able to defend as well as he did, um, just, and of course I, I favor the guy a little bit because I, I've just, I haven't seen anybody that at least in my, opinion is you know has quite the the style of defense that he plays in the box and I just I think he's one of the the greatest probably of all time yeah that, I mean I, I don't know if that's true or not but well in my well opinion. he was a, a big part in Manchester City's initial run uh to glory post billionaire takeover he was one of their first key players and contributed to many of their uh premier league titles so certainly one of the better english keepers of all time i would have to say um and you know it's it's definitely nice to have a guy to rely on that can make saves like that and he seems to while occasionally just from the aggressiveness of his play, I think occasionally a mistake is going to happen from him, but he always comes up with a big save almost every game. And Carl Starfelt, the Celtic center back, I counted two or three times with a bad giveaways, bad passes that led to Kilmarnock dangerous opportunities and or shots. And each time Joe Hart answered the call. So I, I think, yeah, for sure, uh, this game could have ended differently without James Hart, or excuse me, Joe Hart. Um, and I think just as a general talking point, Kilmarnock were a little unlucky not to find the back of the net. Uh, I believe one of their goals was chalked off due to VAR, um, mm-hmm. which we can talk about VAR a little more in this match. But yeah, yeah. Um, Let's kind of, I want to dive into this first goal we get here from, it ends up being Dives and Maeda. Like you said, Aaron Moy 
with the free kick. The ball is put into a dangerous position, and it looks like uh, when I was watching this the first go around that Kyle Lafferty uh, puts a bad touch, and he actually puts the ball in his own net for Kilmarnock. But upon further review, and it's awarded to Dyson Maeda, who's able to kind of chest the ball into uh into the net there and uh to make it one nil uh obviously a lot of it it felt like maybe a little bit of a weight off of the shoulders of celtic there you know always expecting an early goal and to be fair this one was pretty early but uh and and just a great reaction from the crowd as well and i think for all of Hampton's shortcomings, you can't uh, you can't take away the atmosphere that it creates in my mind. So it it was really awesome to see that one go in. Yeah, I also have a note here. Um, Jota and Juranovic's footwork around the twenty eighth or ninth minute always. Whenever I I see something that sparks a note i mean some of these i take for granted the 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 footwork that some of these guys possess as far as moving the ball around um just fun to watch some of i I don't know what any of the terms are for the moves or anything but just a lot of real offensive movement of the ball other than the Mm -hmm. typical um and those two they kind of stood out it was sort of like a a little bit of a back and forth there for 20 or 30 seconds and i'm just i'm watching the ball going how how did he do you know (laughs) how the hell did he do that you know yeah jota is one of the most create if not the most creative player in scotland at the moment uh, and it's nice to have Juranovic on the same side of the field as him and, and uh, a right back that's willing to go up the pitch and create opportunities. I think they have a really good uh, interplay, and hopefully, uh, unless Celtic get a huge fee for him, Juranovic will be staying this January. He's kind of been shopped around a little, but... Uh, after a less than convincing performance against Rangers, I think Juranovic uh, really, really solidified why he is so vital to the Celtic team uh, for this one. 76% possession in the first half for, for Celtic, which, you know, key to the game for sure, but we also know that possession isn't everything in this league, but yeah. Uh, I, and I, th- I honestly, I, I think um, Kilmarnock kind of proved that uh, sure 25% possession through this whole match, but you can count a number of times where they had real goal scoring opportunities. Uh, obviously the one that was chalked off, but, uh, that one initially early on, McKenzie, and then there's a couple other saves that uh, Joe Hart has to make. Uh, Ten shots total, so it it yeah, it is certainly 
nice to be in control of the game and control of the ball, but uh, it's it would be wrong to say Kilmarnock did nothing when they had the ball for sure. Yeah, and it can't. We can't. Uh, I also have a, a note here. This was pretty awful weather <laughs> during yeah. this game, and sometimes the the television broadcast can't really show the conditions but there was a few tight shots of um basically a deluge of rain (laughs) and it's easy when you see the way these games are shot and it's mostly back you know a, a great distance and then when they get a tight shot it's oh you know you can't really believe how how much it's raining <laughs> you know yeah it was dumping um, rain and in, in the field yeah. the pitch if you will was quite muddy for this right. one and the game uh on last sunday um unfortunately we're gonna have to talk a little var here aren't we uh two celtic goals erased due to the video assistant referee and while I'm not in love with VAR, I think at the end of the day, you can't really complain about the decisions that were made. Uh, it was just a bit of a, a pity, I guess, that you know the Rayo Hitate goal was well worked, and then we the Dyson Maeda goal, if you can remember that, where he tucks the ball and in, into the corner just beautifully after an amazing team goal, team well worked goal. Uh, it was really kind of a shame to see those ones chalked off. And maybe the 2-0, it's hard to say, maybe a little flattering to Kilmarnock. But still, I can I liken know. it to baseball when they brought the replay into baseball. And it takes some of the purity out of the game, I think. When you can slow video down, a frame at a time and you know a base runner his foot is one tenth of a second off the bag versus a guy's glove on the tag or you know i just remember when they brought that into baseball i'm thinking you're part of the purity of the game was the re- the, the umpire makes the call on the field as he sees it and when they brought the ability to slow video down to that point in such high definition, you're erasing some of the purity of the way baseball was called. And I feel like VAR maybe has done that with soccer a bit. You know, yeah. we've mm-hmm. seen some offsides that are, <laughs> yeah, you would never by the naked eye be able to call. No, absolutely not. Toe, toes offside is... Well, off, offside by vision is offside. Offside by VAR is centimeters, mm-hmm. right? And that's somebody's call to say yes or no, even though we, we know the, the person on the field may have had a different perspective, a different angle, a different something you know so just because var shows an offside 
if the angle on the field was different, then is he really offside? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say with this kind of stuff. You you want to trust the technology, but I would agree that it is really annoying. And watching some soccer today, even, and every goal was checked by VAR. And I mean, every goal, and that, that that's just annoying to me. You know, when it was brought in, it was all it, they all they preached about how. It's only going to be used if there was a clear and obvious error. And then it became, well, it's used every time someone's toenail is offside or whatever. So I don't know. Either use it like you initially said you were going to do, clear and obvious errors, or all the time use it for, you know, the close millimeters offsides. But again, that's just not. It's not very fun, I guess. No, and we, we, in this second game, we can talk about it when we get to that, but it was the first time I saw a overlay on the replay of a graphic showing the goal line in the Rangers versus Aberdeen game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I knew that, okay, they're all in with this now. If they're going to start showing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And, and let's not forget too, that by filming technology, European soccer is quite far behind the NFL who has, you know, the suspended four way spider camera or something that can, you know, be above everyone and follow and, and you can basically get right down into all of the action. If that ever comes to European soccer, look out. Because <laughs> yeah. if you think the AR is annoying now, you know, when you've got something suspended above play, mm-hmm. they're going to, it's, I hope it doesn't get to that point, but these are mostly two angle shots that we're seeing when, when they film the game, right? Yeah. For the most part. Pretty much. So, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how those things develop. Um, fast forwarding, I suppose, into the second half here. Uh, I think Kilmarnock, what they came away with with this one was the 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 penalty claim. Um, I, if you recall that, with Jackamakis, maybe bringing down the Kilmarnock player in the box, maybe not. Uh, a lot of people claiming it was a penalty. I myself, I could go either way. I, I don't think I would be totally upset if that was awarded personally. Yeah, I just... Um, I don't know if you have anything on the Kilmarnock free kick around the 52nd minute, but <laughs> it was one of the one of the most interesting free kicks because the player didn't directly take a shot. He kind of looped the ball in front of another, another player instead of like, you know, booting it like typical, it was like a lob pass and it just sat there. And then another guy swept in and tried to, to make the score. Mm -hmm. Um, 
yeah you see that you see that quite often i would say with in general just uh different techniques and they, they are kind of like plays almost where you have a, a practice routine that you do on set pieces and the more the game progresses the more set pieces seem to get more tactical and and rehearsed yeah so we had a maeda what we thought was a goal to put celtic up two nil mm-hmm. uh on a pass from an un, very unselfish pass from Kyogo, uh who had a shot but decided it would be better if he um played the ball on and VAR says offside, no goal. And that was, a, that was one of those close, um, frustrating VAR calls. For sure. Uh, yeah. Should have been two nil at that point. Um, but not to be so. Yep. So, uh, if you have a note on that, uh, potential Kilmarnock penalty, um, I think a lot of people were complaining that it should have been a, a penalty and that, you know, if it's awarded and at that point it's, I think it's one nil, one nil or maybe two nil. I, I apologize for not knowing the timeline exactly, but regardless, it would have really given Kilmarnock a lifeline in, in the fixture. Um, it seemed like Jackamacus was just getting physical in the box like many do and wrapped his arms around a player and obviously the the once the uh, the player feels arms around him i mean he's going down all day so like i said for me maybe i could go either way aside from the percentage of possession i felt like this was a pretty evenly matched game um we went six minutes over regulation in the second and then of course we have uh jack jack yeah jack georges jackamacus jackamacus goal um late in the 95th minute to Seal the deal. By the win, yep. Two, yep. two nil. So, uh, no complaints. No, definitely not. And you know, it's cup competition. It's about moving on and getting to the final, which Celtic did. Uh, interestingly, Jackamakis. That might have been the last goal he's likely to score for the club. Uh, it appears like he is going to be out the door in the January window off to now the, the strongest link has been to a club in Japan, but I've also seen interest from Atlanta United stateside here. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I really don't want to see him to go because I question the, the striker depth uh, after Kyogo, if Jackamakis leaves. So, so we'll have to see there. Yeah, I have that. Apparently, there was some discussion amongst the commentators that he may be um, on his way somewhere else. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep see. we'll keep an eye on that. With January, it's rumors and a lot of hearsay. One other, so one other player of note that 
I'll bring up before we move on to the next game is Carter Vickers is a spark plug. And mm-hmm. when he is when he's on the pitch, it is a completely different scenario than when he's not on the pitch. And Absolutely. I'll just agreed that what that's worth. <laughs> Absolutely. I at this point, and I think many agree, best defender in Scotland and really has solidified himself in into the Celtic team. And, I, and I'm hoping not only from the Celtic perspective, but from the men's U.S. men's national team perspective, that he stays uh, in at Celtic and in the in in Europe for a long time. And I, and I would love for him to spend the rest of his career here. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, so Celtic moving on to the League Cup final after dispatching Kilmarnock 2-0. Again, the final February 26th. Uh, we've got to move on now to our second semifinal uh, in setting the table for the final. This one contested between Rangers and Aberdeen. So... First things first, and I don't know if you picked up on this, but I certainly did, and I kind of knew it would be the case. Uh, the fans, uh, a lot more even than the first time. Uh, hello, Richard, as I see uh, in the camera. Executive here. producer Richard Tanaka has <laughs> made an appearance. You love to see that. <laughs> Gotta love, give the cat a little love there. But yeah. A little, little cheeky last few days so. oh i'm sure he's 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 uh he's usually locked in for some potentially devious behavior <laughs> as he makes sure to put his tail right in your face right now but yeah uh i don't know if you notice but the the support of the two clubs a lot more even than the first time around uh, you had on the on the right side of your television the Aberdeen support uh, in red there, and then you had your Rangers support. Now Ranger, I would say it's probably sixty forty maybe uh, if if that was the split, but still, uh, it made for a rocking atmosphere in Hampton for sure. This this game was probably of of note. This year, this was the most enjoyable game that I've that I've seen. This mm-hmm. this game was from start to finish, and it was a it was a long game for sure. But <laughs> and he's down. Anaka out. <laughs> but it was uh this was one of the best I best matches that I've seen this year. Just like I said from. First kick to last whistle, just there was no boring parts of this game. And I didn't realize that apparently under this cup play scenario, we don't do um, draws. No draws. Yeah. Right. So that's always that's always great when we go into extra time. Yeah, that's uh, the I'm getting ahead beauty. of myself. Here. The beauty yeah. of, of knockout football now. Let me set the table a little bit. Um, I guess from a historical standpoint, Aberdeen are probably your your kind of best of the rest in Scotland outside. Really, of... really scrappy. Yeah. 
really scrappy for team sure versus you know rangers have a way of play and aberdeen just never they never back down and i almost i found myself really rooting for them mm-hmm. you know i thought man they, they have a shot at this yeah yeah definitely it, i they really brought uh, you you want to talk about kilmarnock bringing intensity aberdeen threefold intensity there i mean in aberdeen like i said kind of the best of the rest if you will i'm sure they won't love me saying that but it's kind of true um historically at least not really this season but a great fan support in a in truly a big club in with a big club mentality which you don't often see uh outside of a a, a few clubs in Scotland and no, no backing down against this Rangers team. So uh, really coming out of the gates uh, flying. And uh, I would say just made it made for very entertaining soccer. Yeah. Um, Myofsky does score, although uh, ends up being offside. Mm-hmm. Um Aberdeen just gets a little more scrappy after that. And then I had a note here. Morelos, uh, there was some thought early in the first half that Morelos v. Stewart might be a thing. Uh, apparently, there's some bad blood there, potentially. Yeah, uh, I think there's bad blood between Morelos and pretty much anyone he plays. <laughs> he, he is a He's one of those guys that you kind of love to hate. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just, you know, his style of play. Yeah, I think he embraces the villain role quite well and, you know, a pro- prolific goal scorer. And we will get on to uh, Mr. Anthony Stewart later because he, pay- he plays a big role in this match uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Aberdeen... Most of the, well, I, w- I shouldn't say most, but a, a couple of good opportunities to score. Uh, Miavsky puts it in the back of the net, like you say. Uh, place, well, one half of Hampton comes unglued. Unfortunately, uh, ruled off, I believe, for an offside, and, and it, it really did look offside from the get-go. Uh, but Aberdeen definitely kept up the intensity. Uh, I don't know if you made note, but I can't recall the minute exactly, but uh, Rangers hit the hit the crossbar uh, it short shortly after that, I believe, or maybe even before. But it, in the first half, Rangers hit the crossbar. So there there was this uh, element of kind of a, a back and forth for sure. Yeah. Uh, Morales had a, a couple of shots and they, they might've been crossbar shots, but, um, Kent had a good shot for the Rangers that didn't go in around the 33rd minute or so. And then Morales, uh, in the 36th, what looked like a goal. And then I have a note here to see if you have any Intel or information on what, what, what was, called the goal decision system Mm, mm -hmm. so that might have been that 
overlay graphic overlay so yeah that's that is what you saw with the graphic um so yeah it when that ball you know at least approached the goal line and rangers were claiming the goal and celebrating as if they had scored uh the goal line decision system or the goal line technology is is basically just that the ref actually has a watch um on and there's sensors in the goalposts that when the ball fully crosses the line, which is different from like the NFL where you just have to break the plane, when the ball fully goes across the goal line, the ref's bu- uh, watch actually buzzes and tells them that it, it's a goal. The ball went over. So if the ref, if it's cleared off and the ref gets no buzz, I mean, He's not awarding the goal. And then you saw the graphic overlay where you kind of get a uh, AI uh, developed, I suppose, image of where the ball was in relation to the goal line. Well, and I'm curious as to how that works, because obviously the keeper is going to be in that same line of electronic sight. So how do they differentiate between a ball crossing that and a keeper's hands or any other part of his body. Yeah. There's not something in the ball. Is there maybe there's something in the ball? I know. uh, I don't think there's sensors in the ball for um, goal line technology. Now they were using sensors in the world cup for the semi automated offside thing, but that I can't imagine that is in, uh, there's any sort of sensors in the ball in Scottish football right now. Yeah. Um, I, and I'll be honest, I really don't know the ins and outs of the technology. I just know sort of the how it the fundamental workings and and what it is, I guess. Right. So, rounding out the first half, we have a Miofsky goal for Aberdeen, mm-hmm. which basically silenced. Um, the ranger army that was there <laughs> the Got union bears yeah very quiet for the last five minutes or so of the first half and i was pretty excited that you know aberdeen had scored and i thought well you know this here we have a match what a match yeah. what, what a, a match, match day it was <laughs> what a match day it was uh yeah aberdeen anytime the match day this was there you have it thank you jamie carragher for that one uh anytime a team scores first against the old firm uh the two glasgow clubs it's it's uh it usually makes for entertaining football because the whether it be rangers which it was in this situation or celtic uh it, it usually prompts them to start playing at a higher gear um First off, Miofsky goal was fantastic. Um, and what is so great about the cup competitions is that it's you take league form out of the picture and it's all about right here, right now. And, you know, Aberdeen are thinking, why why can't we beat Rangers? We're up 1-0 and, of course, we know what happens later, but it did make for really, really entertaining soccer. Yeah, so 
moving through the second half, we have uh, Ryan Jack goal for the Rangers uh, to make it a 1-1 equalizer, um, who notably, I guess, played for Aberdeen in the past. Yes, uh, he did, and he uh, did not win over any Aberdeen fans there, not only because of the scoring, but the emphasis and pointing to the Rangers badge when he scored. So a little bit of, uh, well, what I would call douchebaggery there from Ryan Jack. Um, Buckery. Sure. If that's the term you want to use, I go ahead. Uh, Ryan Jack, probably not welcome in any pubs in Aberdeen anymore for that one. Uh, regardless, a, a, a well-worked goal assist from Alfredo Morelos there, um, and game on at one, one there had a couple substitutions here. Johnny Hayes comes on for Duke of Aberdeen. Later, we also have Kamar Roof coming on for Morelos and Glenn Kamara coming on for the United States international Malik Tillman. So... Really, you know, I to me it felt like Aberdeen holding on to what they had while Rangers were, you know, trying to press on for the win. But it was it was kind of a stalemate the rest of the regulation ninety minutes. I don't know what else you have for the second half, but yeah, just uh, we had a couple red cards in this game. We did. We had Stewart, well, we we had a red card, a red card. Stewart was the red card uh, offender. Yeah. Um, so this one, when does this come? Uh, somewhere around in the nineties, I think. Yeah, yeah, ninety minutes plus three, and right before extra time, which is a bit of a blow for Aberdeen. You felt like, well shit, that might be kind of the end of this. Uh, while they did end up getting to extra time, you know, it was always going to be tough to defend a lead uh, with 10 men. But that tackle, man, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was pretty rough. Uh, probably a textbook red card, but uh, he went flying into that thing and mows down uh the Rangers player, which I, I think was Ryan Kent, but I could be wrong there. But what a... Right. In, <laughs> insane tackle there. Extra time, uh, Tav- Tavernier, Tavernier, Tavernier. Yeah, he's English, takes so yeah, takes a shot, no goal, and then uh, we have Roof for the Rangers. Um, pretty close to the end, uh, scores and makes this a two-one game. Yep, ninety-fourth minute, and then we have this fiasco with. VAR where uh, it disabled and they were going to play without it and then it came back on which is like what the hell are we doing here yeah that was the point where I fast forwarded and it was a solid I think it was a solid 20 minutes this game went two hours and 36 yeah yeah when I 20 minutes 20 minutes of that was them just trying to sort shit out and I I just scanned right through it i don't oh, need yeah. to listen to 20 minutes of bs so yeah absolutely interestingly uh 
Christian Ramirez of Aberdeen gets subbed on uh, for his final Aberdeen appearance because he is headed to Columbus, Ohio for the Columbus crew. Oh. So he's a striker. Yeah. Hoping to maybe create a nice partnership with Mr. Cucho Hernandez this season. So we'll see. Yeah, so lots lots of good stuff coming for um, the crew, and I'm I'm looking forward to when that action starts. Um, probably try to make a match or two uh, in person. Oh yeah, for sure. I signed and, up for my uh, my my Nordec membership this season, so I will be getting some perks, I suppose, for that. Okay. Well. So yeah, I mean. If you couldn't figure out, the final is Celtic versus Rangers. Uh, again, no hype really needed for that one. Uh, another meeting between the two Glasgow clubs, and I'm sure it'll be it'll make for an entertaining final. February the 26th, where our first trophy of the Scottish calendar will be awarded. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I don't know exactly what we will have. For the next show obviously some soccer coverage i think we'll head more south of the border this time around but um f1 uh season continues to build so we'll definitely be on that and the premiere of season five of drive to survive will be available on netflix the 25th of february that we have true. 10 or so episodes uh, to watch, and that will give us some content to speak of. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Hopefully no embellished uh, plot lines, but probably because it's Netflix. So, Right. right. So, so we'll see. And as I've said in the past, um, these things are rarely good past four to five seasons, so... Um, maybe this will be the best of the last. Yeah, so stay tuned for all of this fun action on the show. Uh, I think that's all we got for for now. Okay. Episode 26. Episode 26. In the books. Let's get going. All righty. For executive producer and violator of the microphone, Richard Tanaka. I have no associate producers in line for this evening. So with that, this has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. Studio 2520. We will see you all next time.